There are few in fishing who have attained the level of success of Tim Klein. Raised in the Keys, Klein was impacted by the legendary fish he grew up with and eventually made himself known throughout the industry as one of the greats of his trade. His life also experienced the spectrum of many other conks in the Keys, including sunken treasures, drug smugglers, and tournament wins. He's had an incredible ride. We hope you enjoy his journey. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. I, I have to say, Tammy, that you have been one of the great inspirations to many, many guides in Isla Mirada through the years. Uh, I think with your tournament success, you kind of raised the bar for everybody, you know, especially in the bonefish tournaments. Uh, and if anybody really wants to achieve greatness, and if you want to win a tournament back in the day, they had to beat Timmy Klein. And I, we're in your beautiful home surrounded by Millard Wells watercolors, which is was the greatest trophy that you could win yes, sir. during all these tournaments. Uh, tell me about Millard. I remember Millard uh, with the red scarf, uh, almost, um, he was almost like, um, who's that great artist that had the big mustache? I, uh, yeah, I, I, I can picture him. I don't I'm remember who it was. Out right now. But Millard and Jeannie, or, you know, his wife that ran the show was, you know, they were icons together. And starting out in this business, I was, you know, terrified in a tournament because I never thought I could win one knowing what everybody caught every day, the amount of fish. But I truly got into the tournaments to win a Millard Wells. I mean, he was a family friend. He came over to our house for dinner and um, just just an icon. And I just loved the guy. And his work was just exquisite. You know, it was like my favorite. Um, you know, you're talking... 35 plus years ago and uh and or even longer um before i was a guide and i just wanted to win a millard wells you know it was uh it was a, all, it was bigger than the tournament itself in in many ways i i thought so and plus he was like the mc you know he's you know when he we did the uh calcuttas and stuff like that he have all these corny jokes and little sayings and 
And we sort of dreaded as years went on as he started the tournament because it would take forever. We're all tired, you know, and we were like, we want to get this banquet over, but it would take an hour and a half to go through 25 of us, you know, know, bidding on us and this and that. And then it evolved to Chuck Brodsky, who was just... I yeah, heard ruthless. He was so raw. Oh, ruthless. He would fry you. And now you've got Wardo uh, that, yeah. that does Wardo's all the, pretty good. Oh, he's really Wardo's good. Wardo's great. Yeah. But that's part yeah. of the tournament scene. You know, it's, it's the brotherhood, uh, the idiosyncrasies of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it all comes out, you know, at the opening ceremony night. But anyway, your your success is, is, is quite profound. And, uh, you fish with a lot of great guides uh, or other anglers. Uh, yeah, that, and like it to- was it was more about the guides to me. You know, you you had five or six tournaments when I started. You had the the, the bonefish tournaments. You had the spring fly in April, uh, September fall bonefish tournament, and the all tackle in October. And then you had the Holly tournament, the ladies tournament, and the Gold Cup tournament. And those were your tournaments back then. And, and you fished it, you know, to, you know, to beat the guys. It wasn't really about the anglers to me. It was about trying to save face and trying to stay up somewhere in the tournaments where you're recognized. And you're petrified, but you wanted to beat the guide. You know, you didn't give a shit about an angler. Yeah, because those were your peer pressures. Yes. Um, yes. Who were the guides you really feared in those bonefish tournaments? Um, well, naturally, Steve Hoff. Harry Spears, Eddie Whiteman, you know, um, you know, Branham, you know, I don't know. I have to look at the names here. <laughs> you know, um, there was a lot of guides, you know, that were, and then so many guides that you just talk to shit with on the dock and you I caught, you know, a bunch of 12 pounders. One guy caught a 14 pounder and this and that. And you're like, wow, how am I going to? beat that beat any of these guys you yeah. know when i started off you know and, and uh i was just like all right let's just go you know so efficient yeah well we'll get into that but let's just take a, a step backwards uh to your high school years and growing up here in the keys um running your boat to school yes docking at uh, flutie's house yeah albert yeah, yeah Al tell, t- so tell me about growing up here um you know my father he wasn't much of a fisherman. I didn't have fishing in my blood. I was a, my dad owned a dive boat, you know, you know, started treasure diving, you know, back in the sixties, I presume. Um, he was actually a Marine patrol officer from Biscayne Bay to Duck Key. And I never saw him, you know, when I came around, he had already quit that, I believe. I just remember seeing his badge and his gun and, and stuff like that. Um, and became a, a very big treasure diver and finding all the Spanish galleons up and down here in, in Key Largo to Alamorada. And then he had f- people take an interest in doing that. So he would, um, hey, Bobby, can I go dive with you? You know, but he needed to make money also. So he just started taking people, charging them to go diving treasure and stuff like that, which was really cool. And growing up, my brother and I went, you know, quite often with them you know our old house that we grew up here in this neighborhood um i literally grew up across the street here in 19 you know uh, born in 61 and uh, they bought that house in uh, 57 uh, my brother was born in 58 we were both uh, born in miami but there was no 
hospital here though sure. you know it still isn't but um so we my dad was a big diver and and treasure hunter so we in our second house in the neighborhood um, we dove up all the ballast stones and he made a big ballast stone wall had some gentlemen make this beautiful wall and what's a ballast stone ballast stone is what they put in the belly of a of a, of a ship of a spanish galleon okay and the ballast stones went in the belly of the boat for ballast and so it wouldn't rock back and forth well not they wouldn't rock they would set them so if they're going one way you know and they needed the boat to tilt a little bit more they would like a trim tab shift them yeah oh interesting yeah so the ballast stones were anywhere from yay big to this big it was like river river rocks i would assume like they were cannonballs like wait wait yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah, not sure. cannonballs cannonballs would rust and cannonballs were for protection and we we found thousands of cannonballs musket balls pistols swords dividers wow. for charts you know you found pistols and swords yes sir my now, was father he, did. But, well, my but, father, we found tons of stuff, you know, coins, you know, thousands of pieces of pieces of eight and six and fours, you know, pillar dollars. Um, and well, where, where was uh, Mel Fisher in uh, in on all this? Were he, they... he wasn't. He um, he was a famous treasure hunter, obviously. Right. You know, did they ever work together? In no, no, they we never worked together. And the other famous guy was um, Art McKee. That across the street, which is the Montessori school, there was uh, Art McKee's Sunken Treasure, and and that was an icon back in the day. Growing up, you know, it's the old castle, um, and he had an art uh, a museum there that you could go and three or four times a day do a tour of it and stuff like that. You know, I used to get dropped off there as a kid and and you know grade school. And, you know, I was in fifth grade and get dropped off there. Back then, there was no traffic. You know, the parents didn't give a shit where you were dropped off. You know, you walk across the street and come home, you know. Today, oh, I'm, nice. I'm petrified to try to walk across the street now. Or a little drive your car across that, that <laughs> I'd US rather be in a car, right? you know, with airbags all around you. Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's scary. But it was quite the the day of growing up down here and, and going diving with my dad. And, and there was a brick pile off of Tavernier Key, and we built a brick um, steps to our front door and down to, to the walkway to the driveway. And my dad put a piece of eight and a step in the back, a porch, you know, in the concrete, which we took out recently when we sold the house. My brother uh, got, got that. And, uh, and what exactly was that again? A piece of eight. What does that mean? Uh, it's just a, a coin. Oh, you know, it's probably that, the that most, he had found? Yeah, okay. it was probably the most popular size coin. Um, I don't know what it was worth back in the day, but it was just like a quarter and a oh, nickel cool. and a penny. You know, you had you know, different uh, numbers, you know, four, six, and eights. And then the pillar dollar was a round one. The other ones were sort of not perfectly shaped. Right. And uh, and the coolest thing that he found was a little salt gold 24-carat wicker basket, about yay big. Um, and you opened it up. And it had, I think, four sets of wedding rings wow. and uh, that were all, you know, and my mother, you know, um, got one of those, you know, when they got, you know, um, when, when they got married, you know, and uh, uh, but it was he had all that displayed in Ocean Reef. My dad had a dive shop at Ocean Reef in 1970 to the mid to late 70s where he ran his dive boat business. It started in Alamorada. Uh, Pelican Cove when it was just a half a dozen little hotel rooms and stuff 
and then went went to Ocean Reef. You know, so I learned Ocean Reef. That's where I actually did my first charter at like 12 years old. My little Boston whaler took really? some lady out catching her snappers and just had to, you know, made 25 bucks. Man, this is, <laughs> you know, was probably like 1972 or something like that. I'm like, wow, this is cool. So yeah. who was your, who taught you, who, who got you into fishing? I mean, um, mo most kids have somebody, a grandfather well, or a mother or somebody. Uh, it's, 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 that's interesting. You know, when you grew up here, you know, the water was your playground, you know. So to kill time after school or something, because I'm not going to do homework. I hated that stuff, you know. I, I would... Uh, you can curse go, on this podcast. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, you, know, I, you know how clean I am, so don't worry about that. Don't worry. Uh, this will be G. Um, we, we just fished off the docks, you know, down the shorelines, the bridges, whatever you could do. Mostly the docks when you're really young, just laying there... I'd go get a bonita from some offshore boat and cut it up and lay on the dock down there in 100 degree on the pavement, just like watching that big snapper come up and eat that ballyhoo chunk. And you lost half of them because they went around the marker or something like that. So it was just great just doing that as a, a real youngster. And um, growing up here, um, I knew a lot of these famous captains you know i, I got some of them written down here um uh, jimmy albright cecil keith no no those, those are those are regular fishermen but eddie whiteman for sure oh yeah eddie whiteman was and i grew up with his kids you know as a young age um jack roberts okay. which a lot of people probably you probably never heard of jack roberts jack roberts was like six eight his Son Eddie was one of my best friends growing up. Spent a ton of time growing up at his house, and Jack was a giant guy. His his um, um, Jack's wife Jackie was the school bus driver, and so I spent a lot of time. And he was just one of those great legendary bone fishermen. They he told me stories about catching snook and redfish and trout, and it was just you know it's just like every cast and you know some of the pockets and bites out back, you know. So he got into bone fishing. He had an old Willie Roberts, you know. Uh, with a little 70 Evinrude on it. And, and I, you know, I remember fishing um, and starting to guide and see where he would fish, you know. You, you, and I'm like, you're you know, stealing, you, his, you put, stealing his spots. Uh, yeah, you could say that. You know, you know, you, <laughs> but you're you 12. Know, no, no, but that was later on in life sure, when yeah. I was starting to you know, play more and, right. and, and get around. And, and you know, you had um, Dick Williams, one of the great bone fishermen, George Hommel, um, another legendary guy, uh, Bob Reinerman. And um, so I, I knew all these guys growing up, you know, because it's, you know. Small quarters down here. Yeah. So you, I grew up with their kids. Uh, Craig Brewer's father, Jim. Um, I remember being dropped off there as a, you know, 12 or 13 years old at Craig's and Craig's house. And, um, and, and his dad would have a couple spinning rods ready for us with little wooden plugs and we'd cast it a five-gallon bucket for hours. Most of them are strung up across the telephone lines, you know, and right. they sit there all day. And then Jim would come home in the after afternoon and and like look up there and it looks like I need to cut some more plugs for you boys, <laughs> you know. And 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 Craig's dad had I remember, you know, I haven't talked to Craig about this forever, but I remember he had like big um sideburns. Side yeah. Lamb like, chops. Yeah, like Elvis, you know, it was like, you know, he was, you know, he was a man's man, you know, just a great guy, you know, 
his mother Shirley was was epic, you know, great woman, and uh, loved them to death. So just growing up here was, um, you know, what a play, playground. So you guys are just, I mean, you're surrounded by water, and you've got fishing rods, and you're learning, you know, the early stages of putting bait on a hook and tying knots. Do you remember your first boat? Well, yeah, the the really the first first boat was like a. Um, a piece of shit Boston whaler that was like a mold of a boat. And they were rental boats where my dad worked on Pelican Cove and we put 25s on them and we didn't fish. We just rode around and got in spray fights and this and that. And keep going. And, and so we, um, as kids, that's all we did. That was our bicycles. Basically. We just, Your we mode of trans transportation. Yeah. Yeah. We just rode around and that's how we played. And, you know, we just, we threw tennis balls at each other and sprayed each other, wait for a yacht coming in. I live right next to plantation yacht Harbor, which is now founders park. And we used to sit up at my pool, a whole bunch of us in our little boats and just sit there in the afternoon waiting for waves, uh, sport fishermen to come right. in. And, uh, man, we saw that sucker come in. We go ying, ying, ying and poof, jump these, wakes probably scaring the hell out of these did you ever sink a boat no no but we had many engines fly off oh really yeah 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 so so what was that like oh this fell off the boat you know oh shit you know like (laughs) you know and then you gradually pull it up because your gas line was still hooked to it you know and so you're still it didn't go to the base or the bottom of the ocean it's only seven feet deep out there you know so you'd get that up and then we you know get a lobster line and we'd tie it from cleat to cleat and you know, rapid iron there. So when it did fall off, because back then they didn't bolt engine iron, you just had those little things that you turned, like, you know, but you didn't have it bolted on. So they right. fell off like commonly, you know, and, and back in those days, you'd just take it home, you'd rinse it off, you take the plugs out, you get some CRC back in the day, which is now WD 40, and you spray that shit in there, crank it a few times dry, and put the plugs back in. All right, <laughs> let's go. And off we friggin' went, you know, we just, you know, we lived in our boats growing up. You know, we slept out at night. And then um, when I was about 14, my my dad, you know, he knew how I loved, you know, out in the boat and, and beginning to fish and stuff like that. But snorkeling, going to go get lobsters all the time. And and um, so this little cool little boat, um, dark blue, black and blue, indoor outdoor carpet on it. Um, the lines of a super skiff, it had a hole in the bow, which they thought a brilliant idea is shove your push pole in and, you know, which doesn't work to this day because it makes so much damn noise, you know, and your pole's straight up and down, you know. So, um, um, it didn't come with a platform. It had a little side console, two little seats and one on the bow, little, little things that, you know, you buy them to this day, uh, with a little pipe and you set your seat on there and you could spin around and they were garbage and uh um and uh, so i had that boat for for a couple years and so now i'm like 15 and 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 i'm like mom can i take it to school she goes yeah so where are you gonna park it at well i'm gonna take it up to al flutie's house al flutie lived right on the Bayside of Coral Shores High School, where we all went to school, and that's Glenn's father. Yes, and so uh, she goes, no problem, you know. So I'd go to school and pull up to the dock. You know, I went and talked to Al about it, and says, yeah, no problem, son. And I'd get there in the morning at you know like seven a.m. School starts at like seven fifteen or seven thirty in the morning. It's, you know, sun's just coming up, 
And Al would be just sitting out there on the back porch smoking cigarettes, you know, having a cup of coffee. I go, how, how you doing, Al? He goes, great, Timmy. Just winding down. And I'm like, winding down? Yeah, it was a fun night last night. Just uh, having a cigarette and getting ready to go to bed. You know, so he was out all night doing whatever. You know, he was, you know, he was a fishing guide also, you know. And he had his boat right there at, um, at Plantation Yard Harbor, you know. So, you know, growing up with that and, and, and knowing Glenn really well and a handful of kids. And so it was just really fun going to school by boat. And then it became a problem. I started on those nice days, like, wow, to start, forget about school and just go riding around. You know, back then gas was shit, you know. 25 cents yeah 40 something cents a gallon we had our own tank down here at the end of the street now did you understand what a bonefish was back then no Uh -uh. you just like a snapper a snapper i knew what a snapper was i get dinner or i could go catch some and lobsters and i used to take my brother out and we'd just go out and catch some snappers and lobsters walk around with a bucket and try to sell them and i i remember coming to this house as a kid and and I go, Robert, let's see if they want. Robert was afraid to go knock on the door, you know, because he might, they might say no. I'm like, they're going to say yes or no. Go go to the next house. You know, so I had to knock on all the doors. <laughs> Robert and, uh, didn't want to knock on the no, door. No, he didn't want to, yeah. So, so you were selling snapper door to door. Snapper and lobsters. Yeah, you make a few bucks. Plenty of money to fill the tanks back up. You know, that's all you're doing, just trying to make money to put gas back in the boat to go fishing and riding around and goofing off. And it was really... A fun time, and I turned that boat into a fishing machine as life went on and working every day and a little luck on maybe finding a a bale, you know. You Tell know. me about that. Oh, you just... Um, you mean a square grouper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, would you go out and look for them? Sometimes, yeah. How sometimes. often would you find them? Oh, I didn't find many, you know, but they came at the right time, you know. <laughs> and you knew when they came? Well, <laughs> well later, the timing of everything. <laughs> what, what's going on? Well, here? that that time of, that time of life, you know, when you know, getting later on in the high school and stuff. Um, yeah, you know, you knew everybody that was doing it. You know, it was you know quite the quite the business down here. Right. You know, it was very interesting, and 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 all these people are still really dear friends. Um, that went away for a very long time. A lot of them, but but it was like I found some and. Uh, um, sold them to my neighbor at the end of the street. You know, um, I remember going out with some friends. It was probably 1980, and uh, take a boat ride. And two of my best friends from uh, high school, one went into the army, one went to college. They came back for the summer, you know, summer break and after boot camp, and we're heading out back. And um, we're like halfway. We just wanted to go out and catch dinner. I, I had my boat tricked out now. Now I've ripped it apart and put a deck on it. It looked like a normal skiff, a polling platform, painted it a certain way with paint that my dad told me how to put a certain type of sand in it so it'd be a non, you know, like a, a non-skid. A yeah. And and just epic and, and really titched the boat out just beautiful. And and way ahead of my time on, on um, you know, like, a Hell's Bay or sure. whatever's out there back in the day. I was way, way, you know, before it was like an aluminum boat, but this boat was quiet. It, it, it beat the shit out of you. It was flat bottom. It was made out of compressed fossil wood. 
um, strong as hell. Had two boxes in the back that were flotation. You know how sure. a certain Hell's Base started that way. Mm -hmm. And it had a little tiny live well. And we're cruising out back. And I'm like, whoa, look at that. And then the thing pulled in five inches of water. And we're like, that's a bail. And and no one, my friends didn't know what to do. I'm like, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to get that thing. I couldn't get the boat to it. It was up in really shallow water. And must have been kicked out of a plane in the wrong spot or something. Like, okay. How old so, are you? Danelle dropped it. I, I was 19 or 20, 19. And so, yeah, John, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I thought it was Marathon, but anyway. I thought it was Craig Key. I just got a little too far to the west. Oh, give the guy a break. Oh, God. You're going to get smashed on that one. So, 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 so I swam it back to the boat. And uh, I had my boat designed um, where you open a hatch and we had six gallon gas tanks, you know, so I would pull out a six gallon tank out of the, out of the hatch and this bale fit in there. It's probably weighing 40 pounds, maybe 50 pounds. I don't know. And it fit in there. Perfect. I'm like, okay. So he ran it in to the end of the street here. And I was living up in um, Key Largo. And uh, so we, um, I hid it in a cooler. I actually stopped and showed some friends that played a joke on me one time. But anyway, that's another day. And, and so we, you know, we bluster back out to the bay, going by the same zone, which we didn't see. There's another one. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, I ain't taking this son of a bitch back in. You know, we want to go fishing. Right. Know? So we took the fuel tank out, put the bale under the hatch, and off we went. And we're, it was like Pollock Keys. And we go through Whip Ray, and now we're heading out toward um, Pelican and we're going through Pel Pelican Key and I got three spinning rods with like eight pound tests and with Millie Bucktails, which is the bucktail back in the day. And we're cruising through the islands and, you know, a little bit of water in this boat, you know, with a small prop on it and cruising through there and like, like the size of this house, an acre of friggin' redfish just boiled up on the surface. and. Man, I threw it in the neutral, shut it off, trimmed it up, and we're just coming in redfish, just boiling everywhere. And everybody picked up a rod and triple header, you know, like eight pound redfish, really nice sized redfish. And I'm like, okay, boys, we threw all, we landed all three, threw them in the live walls, and so we got dinner. Let's go get rid of this other bale, you know? <laughs> so I, um, I, um, as I leave the neighborhood and I pulled my boat out because we got a little boat ramp down here. And as I pull out of the neighborhood, there was like a smuggler that lived up here and a commercial fisherman. And I go up there and knock on the door. And I go, hey, man, I got a couple of bales. Oh, great. Where are they at? This is well, they're at my house. Well, actually, one's in the back of my truck. Hey, come back later tonight around 10, drop them off. So I come back around 10, throw them in his garage. And he goes, uh, I go, um, he says, come back in the morning around 10. Okay. So the next day, you know, I go back and knock on his door and he goes, Hey, yeah, no problem. Here and this is like the old Win Dixie bag, just full of freaking cash, you know. I'm like, oh, what's what's in there? He goes, I had twenty grand. I go, No shit. Oh, awesome. Good day fishing, you know. Still <laughs> my best day fishing, you know. And I'm like, all right. So I give both my friends five grand each, give five to me, five to my boat, and everybody was happy. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. So was so, that an incentive to do it again keep on this path? No, no. But it, what it did was put enough money, you know, in my sock drawer to 
take a little time off because I was working my ass off ever since I was 15, you know, at gas stations, working on my father's dive boat. And uh, so, so I started, um, you know, going fishing every day. You know, I was still working some, but I almost took a year off and just, you know, I was still living at my mom's house, you know. Um, but that allowed you the freedom to go out there and explore and fish. And, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I learned that bay, you know, and that little boat, you know. You know, I remember taking my brother out and brewer out all the time. I mean, it was flat bottom. Craig still blames me for his bad back. You know, bam, I mean, it beat the shit out of you. you well, you, you, you talk about your brother. Uh, what was your relationship like with Robbie? Robert, Robert and I have always had a great relationship. He, um, he started in the tile business, you know, after, you know, he went to college for a little bit and, and then he started into laying tile, uh, ceramic tile and was incredible at it and picked up a clientele really quick. And, and, and then we're skipping, but anyway, um, um, as I become a captain in 1986 um, and lots of years of fishing, my brother had this business going and I would help him, you know, unload trucks sure. and, 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 and help him on everything, putting the lines down and then handing him tiles and then doing, you know, taught me how to grout floors and all that. I'm like, oh, this sucks. You know, now I'm a captain and I'm still helping him because I still need to make money. And, uh, and I'm like, God, this this is no fun. Please, somebody call me. I want to go to fishing and go to work. You know, and and so Robert Robert um, had a badass business, and uh, but after ten years of um, me being a guide and having so much fun and meeting so many people and just really digging what I do, you know, I was like, dude, you got to do this. You know, he's like, you know, his knees hurt, his shoulders, his back, and like. You know, I'm now making pretty good money, but having a lot more freaking fun than him. And uh, and finally, he uh, saw the light and became a guide. Did, yeah, he's a lovely. Have... He's a lovely human being. Yeah, yeah. He's, right. the, he's the good client. He's a as John Donnell would say. <laughs> he's the good client. Did he have <laughs> as because... much knowledge as, as you did, or did you? Oh really... shit! Yeah. Oh yeah. You no. didn't help him out along the way. No, and... God, no, no. He was great. No, he was very good at it. You know, I I, I remember. I was just learning how to fly fish before we become guides and we'd go out and, you know, I, I fished a lot with him and I fished a lot with Craiger or the three of us would fish together and we'd fish in all these little tournaments, the spin out and swamp. Oh God, what was the name of it? Not the swamp guides ball, but the swamp out. It was um, like the two biggest redfish, you know, and I think Craig and, and, and uh, Robert and I fished those. Uh, we, we won it every year and they just, screw it you know why run this tournament when these kids win it every freaking right. time you do you know? see that happening in this day and age with the young uh Polly oh. rosses and the well Richard i Blacks? i see it i see it with 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 jared and 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 richard mostly you know uh those guys are now becoming refined they are refined those guys are special i love yeah. those two they're, so, they're they're very different in personality um they're incredible fishermen what i like about them the most is um is they go both ways as in both sides well, i was like my son um, sexually yes for sure <laughs> yeah i mean jared digs it you know you're a big guy no 
<laughs> right? I told you about this guy. Oh, right? oh sure. There's a layup. Let's but, get but, back to the scene layup. But, but anyway, the, Sorry, the, the, what's so good about Jarrett and, and Richard is um, they, like me growing up, they liked the bigger the bigger stuff too offshore. You know, right. they, got, they got big boats, center consoles, you know. So they're not just going out there every day throwing a fly for a big tarpon or a big bonefish. You know, they are... You know the weather's different and this and that and and they're they talk to the people hey this is a day we need to go to the patches and catch muttons or sailfish or right or or go do something different and just go have fun they can do that oh, they're great at it were you a prodigy like they were yeah i mean uh i mean i i, 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 I see I, that I, with you because of your ability now and it translates to where greatness came from Greatness is not grown or born overnight. When you see any great athlete, they were a great athlete when they were eight, nine, and 10 years old. And I know that with what I've seen with you and fishing with you, you don't just find all of a sudden greatness overnight. When did you first realize that you had this knack to find fish, feed fish, and catch great well, it all starts, I think it starts with my father, you know, with a work ethic and and don't screw up or, you know, finish your job because if you don't, you know, um, you're going to have to finish it again, you know, start all over. And and reading the water, you know, growing up on my dad's dive boat was, was just epic, you know. What did that teach you? That teach me everything about reading the water. Reading the water is like, even for an angler is really important. And very few people know how to do that. You know, I can see just the way the waves are moving this and that. I can, you can just visualize a current and a, and a wave and a wind and know all the differences, you know, in the blink of an eye. And, and just, you know, my dad was so good at that. And, you know, you're talking, you know, back in, you know, the 60s and 70s, riding around with him when naturally there was no electronics at all and learning how to, you know, find a, a Spanish galleon or a reef that's out a few miles or even further and looking back and, and, and seeing a lighthouse or a channel marker or a tip of an island and a radio tower on land or a particular colored house. And you'd line that, 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 um, you'd find your, the angles. You, yeah. You'd find your, you'd find your, 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 your wreck. Okay. And, and it's the middle of nowhere, but you can see land. And then you start looking around because you want to find it again. Like, holy cow, this is really cool. I want to come back here. But how do you find it? So you look around and you see a lighthouse and you line that lighthouse up with, okay, it's lined up with that bigger house or a greenhouse or something like that. So you got that line there. And then you look over here and see a tip of an island lined up with that house that, you know, there weren't as many houses as there are now, but you'd, you'd so now you got a line here and a line here, you know, X marks the spot. And so you could go out there and get in the zone real quick and then idle around. If you had enough light and the water was clear enough, you would find that spot in no time. So I use that still every day in fishing. In what way? Uh, like because tar- now you have, you have all the, uh, the yeah, technology with you the You still have all the technology, but it's away from you. It's down in your center console. I guess people can have it on their phone, but you're out pulling in certain spots and you're like you're still looking i still look back at islands to see see exactly where you're at for the location of fish you know because fish will still stay in little zones you know and i remember years ago with drew moret 
know, how do you know exactly where you're at? And then I was like showing him a spot with the Flamingo Tower and this island and and then looking over here at, you know, this island and that island, looking at the gaps and and uh, to find something like that, you know. And he goes, oh, that's shit, that's cool. You know, I didn't right. know, you know, I, he didn't know how to find a range back in the, in the day, you know. And so ranges were a big deal, you know, right. especially because we grew up, we did so much lobstering and snapper fishing because you're just going out trying to catch dinner, you know, and all your lobster holes, you had to look back to see a range. You'd run a line, you know, it's like when I leave my house here, there's a little lighthouse here at the end of uh, Plantation Yacht Harbor, Founders Park. And that was a big range. And you would, you could use that on many spots in the bay by putting it on this house or, or, or that building or that tower and, uh, and get you on a line. You'd run that line until you looked the other way to find another range until you come to the cross and the right. road. And then you'd stop and you'd idle around and say, oh, there's the, there's the little can that I'm looking for. Right. right. Rob Fordyce used to, he mentioned that on the podcast, looking for Buchanan Bank, you know, running in right. the dark with his right. two fingers up. And then also- Oh, two. sure. Yeah. Yeah, because you held a couple fingers up once you got into the zone and looking back at Lake Dividey and the, and the Petersons and little gaps and stuff like that. So that's how you found shit. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Yeah. When did you first started to be really connected and have that passion to target the, the, the fish that you wanted to target? And specifically because you're known as probably one of the world's greatest bone fishermen and tarpon fishermen too. When did that connection take place? And, and, and all of a sudden it's like, I want to do this for the rest of my life, or I'm going to, I'm going to challenge myself, you know? Well, that's a great question because you, you know, your, your career sort of just. It's so open-ended in the beginning. Well, when you when you start, you're, you need to make money. Okay. You, you got to make a living. So you just can't like nowadays. Everybody goes, "I'm just a fly fisherman." You couldn't do that back then, you know. You know, you didn't already have a fancy boat and truck and house. You know, we had nothing. You know, you lived in your garage or you know with your parents and or a shitty little apartment somewhere. So you took any booking you could, and that's what you know. So that's why I love Jarrett and Richard. They. You know, they grew up working on boats and 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 digging, th learning how to throw a cast net and stuff. So I did whatever. You know, I used to go down the bridges in the first few years of my career at four in the morning. You know, and and just go tarpon fishing. You know, you end up finding. You know, it was epic fun. You know, it sucked getting up at three in the morning. You know, so it's like, you know, what are you going to do? But you caught lots of big fish. And as I did that, and then the sun come up and the bite would dwindle, then I would like, screw it, I'm going to, everybody just did that all day, you right. know, stayed around the bridges and, and local cuts. And I'm like, I want to, you know, I got four hours to kill before I go. And so I'd run out the or something like that. And it was like, you know, freaking fish rolling everywhere. I'm like, you know, throwing pinfish out there, go out there and hook twice as many three times as many at the freaking bridges, you know, you're right. a, it was epic, and, it, you know? and it's shallow water and you can see them. Well, yeah, it was epic and nobody there. You're not listening to semis going by all the time, you know? And, um, so as I did that, and then I would take people sight fishing and, and, and especially when I was young too, we did a ton of red fishing, 
weren't a lot of snooks back then. You know, they weren't they weren't easy to find, but a ton of redfish tailing. You know, lots of big trout, lots of tarpon everywhere in the bay, small to big. I mean, we wouldn't even fuck with tarpon running out there. We'd see them. Like, hey, you want to see some big fish? We'd run by. Well, let's try to catch one. Well, steal my Millie bucktail. You know, we only got 10-pound test, 8-pound <laughs> test. We'd throw a bucktail there, hook a big fish. And Break it see? off. See? It'd chew through the leader. You know, you ain't going to land it on a little spinning rod anyway. So I was like, screw those fish, you know. They're too big, you know. Who wants it? Can't eat it. Screw right. it, you right. know. So that was a lot of the playing was going out, just doing anything. And as, as my career started, I would do anything to get a customer. And plus, I didn't have the confidence of fly fishing yet or this or that so i wanted to catch fish so if you left at the dock at four in the morning you're going to catch some big ass tarpon and, and a fair amount of them maybe catch a big ass permit to go with it you know then you right. might go bone fishing to go catch a slam or something like that so but so as that progressed and and, and i was really into sight fishing you know it was the funnest thing to go sight fishing you know because you know Everybody back then just went to the bridges in tarpon season. And I was fishing this goofy little tournament. I forget what it was called. It was out of the fishing club in the late 80s. And uh, and I go down, and it's a three-day booking, and, and mostly Bud and Mary guides. And I get these guys like on the third day. And each day he switched um, anglers. And I get this guy. I um, can't think of his name right now. Um, and I go, How, how'd you guys do? I said, oh, it's been fun. You know, what'd you catch? You know, they really want to know what the hell they've caught, you know, because maybe I know who they were fishing with, know where they were, figure out where they're catching fish. We're all at the same freaking bridges, you know, Channel right. 2, Channel 5. You know, it's a shit show back then. And it's As Tom in- Evans would say, Chanel number two or Chanel number five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, we get down there early morning, we jump a fish, you know. And you know, we've caught one in the last two days, had a couple more bites and stuff. And I'm like, you guys enjoying this? Yeah, it's fun. It's sort of boring. I go, yeah, I agree. You know, I had younger guys on the boat. And they go, you want to go out and see them and cast to them? And they go, what do you mean? This is the only way you can catch them. I said, no, no, no. We can go out in the backcountry and pull around and, and uh, um, sight fish them. There'll be... You know, crystal clear water, big fishes laying around, small fish if you want. You know, we can throw freaking rubber worms or a crab or a shrimp. And I'm like, really? And I go, yeah. And I take them out there and, um, you know, just end up finishing the day, just hooking a ton of fish. We might not land nothing, but you'd have, you have them hooked now because now they're seeing them and casting to them and hooking them. And, and that was sight fishing was where it was at, you know? So as you graduated and started getting better at everything and, and then getting um, people on your boat and taking them just sight fishing for regardless of what it was, I was scared shitless of a bonefish. You know, I caught him when I was young, always by accident, trying to catch a shark as a youngster, you know, catch a bonefish. Like, what can I do with this? I can't catch, you know, I was catching little sharks just cutting their jaws out and, and, and putting them around the house and stuff from in high school and you stuff. You couldn't eat a bonefish, but, but they scared you in what, in what way? Um, as I got into guiding, how hard they were to catch, right. how spooky they were and, and, and stuff. You know, I was, you know, they were tough, you know. And, and then when I started fishing tournaments, you know, I'm like, shit, how am I going to beat you know, Eddie Whiteman or Steve Huff or Harry Spears or any of these cats, you know, their guys are, 
are incredible. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're legends, you know, and, um, Tony Lay was a, a, um, Lorelei guide back in the day. And, um, and Jack Brothers, uh, who I want to get talking to about too, was my mentor growing up. He dated my mother, but we'll get back to that. But I, um, um, Jack gave me Bert Sherb's contact or Bert, my contact. And Bert wanted to fish, um, I think it was the spring, the spring bonefish tournament. So it was like, I think it was 88 the first year we fished, you know, and I didn't know what the hell to do. You know, I was barely tying flies at the time. And, um, and, and so I met Bert and we practiced one day and I, I took him, you know, the first day of the tournament, I see Jack and oh, shit, Jack, I don't know what to do. Which way should I go? He goes, go north, go north. Yeah, go north, you know, Key Largo. Okay, you know. Have about, you fished up there much at this point? Yeah, no, I fished everything. It's not that I fished. I grew up here, so I, you know, I, I grew you know up in Ocean Reef. I knew all that shit up there. I fished with this guy who I won my first tournament in 1991, Mike Carrier. He showed me some shit up there. And um, so it was, you know, so I knew a, a lot of spots. Right. But, you know, I was scared of shit to fish in the tournament. And I get burnt. And, you know, that's when, you know, the, the heaviest fly at the time was a jewel that everybody used it was a uh i think it was like a 155 milli bucktail and jack would take his pliers and cut the tip of the lead off and tie it on so it's something that hit the water sank to the bottom like a rocket you know but it had a shitty little hook on it that you pull too hard it would bend and uh, so so that first that first tournament first day we go out and we catch three releases and a weight like fuck yeah man this is this is big we're leading it first day of my life in a tournament you know i'm like holy cow well we came in like last by the end of the tournament but anyway i was like (laughs) you were like whoa you were i'm recognized king of the hill there for a little bit and and it's funny because jack brothers you know um he had quit drinking you know uh way before that you know Great stories about that crap too, but anyway, um, um, the tournament was, uh, um, I think it was Thursday night. You know, the second day of the tournament, they would go over to uh, somebody's house, and no guides were invited. It was anglers, you know, only anglers cocktail party and whatever. And uh, but Jack was invited because his angler um, was running it. You know, at the time. And uh, Jack, Jack sees me the next morning. He goes, I took care of your angler for you t- for today. And I'm like, yeah, what? What do you mean? You know, I mean, I'm jacked. You know, I'm ready to go, you know. And he goes, see you at the end of the day, son. Okay. You know, Bert comes down to dock. Just, oh, Toast. my God. God damn, fucking brothers. He did it to me big time. What'd he do to you? Well, he just followed me around and just kept handing me another cocktail. Great day today. (laughs) Bert's like, oh, yeah. I mean, Bert's just a great social bug and just a great guy and loyal and all that crap. He was useless. 
I mean, he was absolutely toast. He was sweating bullets in April. He just couldn't get her focus, done. couldn't do anything. And I just like, I get to the dock and I look at Jack and he's a smile. He has this cool little F. <laughs> Looks at me <laughs> and I'm like, I just, I didn't say a word to him. He just, you know, we just Thank smiled you. and a little laughs and stuff. And I'm like, you son of a bitch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a great memory of Jack. So what, kind, want, of, what kind of a mentor was Jack to you? Jack was a huge mentor to me. Um, uh, my parents were divorced. And uh, so this was probably 84. And uh, I'm just over dinner, you know, at my mom's house, you know, maybe maybe no it was probably 85 anyway um he knew how i loved i had my little boat and i was always fishing and just really into it you know we didn't talk much fishing mm -hmm. you know um uh, but he knew you know through my mother how much i loved going out and you know all my my rods and reels are tight and you know clean and you know nice leaders and all that stuff and uh and and, and we're having dinner and stuff he goes you know, you, you like fishing. I go, yeah, that's all I want to do really now. And uh, he goes, um, he stands up, opens his wallet, pulls out four crisp $100 bills, hands them to me. He says, go get your captain's license, son. I go, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, I give this opportunity to my boys. And they both used it to put it up their nose. So... I expect to be paid back either way. And I'm like, okay. And I went and got my freaking captain's license, you know. And and I was just so thankful that he, you know, he said, we needed some new young blood in the business, you know. And so so um, we, I go get my captain's license. And, uh, um, and he says, I don't care how you pay me back. I don't care if it's $5 a time when I see you. I go, okay, okay, okay. And uh, then he sends me a charter, you know, like $225 a day, you know, all day. I'm like, I was mating, you know, I quit working for my father by then on great terms, had a great life with that. But I just got into offshore fishing and on my days off, I went out on my skiff. So, I mean, I was at the Lorelei and I see Jack driving by because he parked by the fishing club, docked. And uh, Jack, Jack, you know, he'd stop in his white Cadillac, you know, pull up. Hey, son, how you doing? It's great. And I opened my wallet, give him $100 bills. It's all right. You know, and I was like paid off in a few weeks. You know, he'd send me a charter, you know, and I'm like, you know, shit, I got, you know, you know, a $50 tip, you know, I got, you know, a couple hundred dollars and give him a hundred, you know, I got him paid off right away. So Jack was the biggest in my life. Um, you know, naturally my father was you know but that's my father you know he was my biggest mentor you know of the work ethic and 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 growing up with him learning all the waters and 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 fishing a tiny bit with him right. you know but not much fishing you know i think a lot of people or a lot of guides and anglers too have always really had steve huff in such high esteem steve who <laughs> um and I know that you've gotten really pretty close to him over the years. In your early years when Steve was around, what kind of inspiration was he to you and fellow guides? Well, he, he was one of the biggest. Um, you know, Steve, you know, he had won everything, you right. know. and, and Such uh, an iconic figure for everybody. He really was, you know, uh, you know absolute professional in everything he did. You know, you didn't understand some of the shit he did, 
you know, he would leave the dock, you know, if he could leave at 6 a.m., he'd left at 6 a.m., you know. If he had to be back at the dock at 5 in the afternoon, he'd be back at 4.40, 4.55, you know. Like, what the fuck's he doing out there, you know? Right. Where'd he go, you know? <laughs> the ghost. You know, I was famous for leaving last in the bonefish tournaments. I mean, I'm like, screw it, I'm not going to get out there and, and sit in a spot and, and just wait there. Wait for like a time. Freaking or... stars, you know. I'd like to get out there and shut the engine off. and Start fishing. You know, yeah, start pulling like every day, you know. but You weren't worried of someone stealing your spot that you wanted to go to? No. I no, because that already, that already shit happened, you know. It didn't happen, but it, um, it, you know, somebody would pull in, you know, relatively close but but that would mess your head up you know right. seeing another boat you know right. oh, shit it's any white so, so nikki just a, uh, you know a little intel on all this when we were fishing the, the the bonefish tournaments with hoover and i we would leave really early and get out to shell key stake out it was lines in at seven but we'd be there like an hour before and we're laying on the boat looking at the stars like timmy's just saying you're waiting for sure. lines in and you'd want to get to your spot so that you were there so no one no one else could could be in that spot because if you got there late there'd be a boat there you know staked out with their navigation lights on waiting yeah. for waiting for yeah. the buzzer well that's yeah. what i was asking timmy you know about going to the spot late you, you know you risk <laughs> i'm going i'm going to work and the tournaments, and I'm watching the boats coming through Whale Harbor, like, you know, fuck, they're looking them go, you know, there's a boat there, there's a boat there. And there's all turnaboats. Boat boats. Oh, yeah, they're all turnaboats, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, you know, I got like, you know, Bert Sherb or Hyacinth or somebody waiting at the dock for me, just like, wanting to freaking go, you know, I'm like, I'm watching all these boats, you know, going out to the ocean, you know, and then I see all the, you know, the running lights or their anchor lights are, and I'm like, well, Okay, that's taking that's taking because you know in the morning mornings only last a little bit, right. you know, so you only need a spot for thirty minutes, you know. Then you know then you're waiting for, you know, then your shadows hundred feet long and you got to pull a certain way. You really had to think about where you're going to go, what the conditions were, what the lights, tides, this and that. If it was a bright morning, you had to make sure you started, you know, pulling into the sun because your shadow is going to be casting. Over to the, the horizon, right. you know. So you really had to start thinking on all these little things, and 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 being there early in the morning. I just, I did it, you know. But I didn't enjoy this laying out there. It was okay, right. you know. I, you know. But you're just you're nervous, you know. You're wanting to go fish, not to right. sit there for an hour and twenty minutes, you know, because it took you ten minutes to get to a spot. So I started going much later, you know. Well, I interrupted you. You were talking about Steve Huff. Yeah, and you... but but the inspiration about Steve is. Um, it was his work ethic, you know, um, how hard he fished and, and how hard he pulled and everything. And there's, I remember days with Heisen in the boat, you know, where I'm just exhausted. You know, these tournaments were brutal. They were all five days back in the day, besides the, um, uh, the, the spring, uh, um, the spring um, bonefish tournament, you know. So, so you were, you were just, you know, you're burnt out, you know, at the end of each day, you're, you know, pulling your ass off, but it'll be blown 20, 25, you know, and, and, and you have to pull into the wind because you can't see downwind because of the glare because on the east hard wind, you know, you right. got, you got to pull where you can see. And I'm like, I pull into a spot and I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? It's going to be like brutal. I'm exhausted. 
I'm like, what'd Steve Huff do? He just pull into the wind so he could see the fish. You know, hardest shit for an angler to cast, but the only way you're going to see him, you know. But that's how, you know, I thought of Steve a lot. I still do, you know. But in all those tournaments, you know, I always thought of Steve. You know, what would Steve do? Grind away, you know. What would fish until the last second, you know. Even if you're not even close to winning, never give up, you know. So it was... Yeah, and Steve become a good friend, you know, and and uh, love the guy, you know, love his kids and and uh, love Patty. It's just, yeah, just fun to talk to that dude. Yeah, what, yeah. what I was gonna say a couple of years ago, I want to bring it to a funny story talking about Bert Sherb. A couple of years ago, I, <laughs> I, I we'll bring I, Mary Beth in on this one. I I was on Instagram and I saw all these photos of this man that was snaking through this mud in Lake Ingram. Tell me about that story. Well, that's my best Instagram shot yet. Yes, twenty twenty seven thousand hits. You know, <laughs> normally if I get two hundred and fifty, big deal. You know, I could put a pretty girl in it and get a thousand maybe, but with Bert crawling in the mud. God, it wasn't that long ago, like four or five years ago. And and Bert and I, you know, we had got divorced 1997 or 8. You know, we had fished for eight or ten years hard in tournaments, and it just started not having fun. And and uh, greatest guy in the world, but I was just like, Bert, you know, we need to um, you know, take a break. This is just for a break from the tournament. So still fish the same days. Let's go do something different. Let's go to Key West. He's never been to the lower keys and fished, you know, been fishing here forever. Let's just go have some fun. Let's get our relationship back on track. You know, no, no, no. I got to fish a tournament, you know, with business. They got to know that I am coming down for a tournament and this and that. They don't need to know where you're, if you're not in the tournament, you can just still fish the same exact days, but let's just go, get our shit together and have fun. You know, let's just go lower keys and catch a permit or a bonefish or a tarpon somewhere else in this little area, you know, cause they, the longer you fish, the more it shrinks, you know, right. the smaller it gets. So it was fun going to Key West and Biscayne Bay and all that stuff. But anyway, so we got divorced and I think it was like 97, 98. And I gave him, um, um, Kevin Guerin, for the Bonefish Tournament and Drew Moret for the Hawley Tournament. Those are the two tournaments I fished with him. And, and he was pissed, you know. But I gracefully, to this day, really try to do it ethically about, you know, you know, we need to get our life, you know. We, it's, fishing is about, to me, is about having fun. Even tournaments are still brutal, but you still got to have fun. <laughs> just stories keep coming with Bert in my head. It's just like, you're not... And that's not even close to as funny. What I'm thinking is way funnier. But anyway. But we'll get to that next. So so I get a call a few years ago from, and and Bert and I just, you know, he's fishing with other guides all these years, you know, and, and, uh, and we're still good friends and, uh, and we're starting to fish a little bit again. And, but he's fishing with Brewer a lot and some other, you know, Kevin Guerin a ton and all that, you know, I get this call, I get, Three o'clock in the afternoon, three thirty in the afternoon. I had my day off. I changed the oil of my boat and cleaned it, and just got out of the shower, laid down with MB to watch like Judge Judy, you know. <laughs> and she goes, "Take a break, relax," you know, and, and, and you know, can't relax around her sometimes. She wants, you know, you look at this house and it's a, 
immaculate as always, you know, so, you know, so I'm always having to do something. And uh, I get this call and it's Judy Sherb. Bert's ran aground and he needs help. Okay. Where's Craiger up to? Have him call Craiger. Have him call, you know, Kevin. I am call his guides, you know. He fired me. <laughs> he fired me. I fired him, <laughs> yeah, basically. Right, but, right, you know, right, but right. anyway, I'm like, what the shit? You know, I'm like, dang, you know. It's like, and I was like, you know, I'm not done with my boat yet. You know, I'm doing maintenance on it, you know. And, and Mary Beth, who's that? It's Judy Sherb, you know. And, and I says, call the park rangers. And so... So let me call the park rangers. So I call, I hang up, I call, I know some of the park rangers and I can't find who I'm wanting to talk to. I get a hold of one. So this is the thing, you know, he's stuck in Lake Ingram, he says. He's high and dry. It's getting late, you know, it's, you know, mid-March and it's windy as shit out. And uh, I don't know what, you know, can you send a boat out there? Is he in distress? Yeah, he's freaking 75 years old and he's stuck on a flat, you know? You know, it's going to get dark in a couple hours. You know, can you go out? Well, as long as he's not sinking, sounds like he's okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, but I don't want the guy to spend the night out there. They wouldn't do shit. I'm like, you're kidding me. You know, I'm like, what the hell are you, you know? And I respect the hell out of all the law enforcements and, and stuff like that for the most part. But I was like, that really irked me. I was like, you know, so... I get a call from the kid that I actually fished like the day before, a friend of his. And I told Bert that day, it was blown so hard, you know, 25 plus in mid-March. I go, listen, go out to the jam your stick in the mud and just sit there for the day and see if something swims by, you know? It's it's really shitty weather, you know? Don't, you know, I want to go to the like we used to go to in the past. I'm like... Bird, it's March. We usually did that in May and June, July. <laughs> you know, this is March. This you know, is a seasonal thing, this fishing thing. Yeah, exactly. What is blowing out of the Northeast? And I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I'm sitting in bed and I'm like, fuck, I can't let this guy sit out there overnight. You know, I remember Hank Brown sitting out there in the middle of the night and ended up sitting in the water all night because the bugs are so bad. And then I'm thinking, I'd rather the bugs eat me than a shark or a croc come and grab me. You know, I was like, it's just hell either way, you know. So I'm like, shit, you know, so I, the boat's all gassed up. All I need is some ice and beer and I'm good to go, you know. <laughs> and and so James is out in his boat. And I go, James, where you at? He goes, I'm, ah, I'm in Alamorada, getting ready to get by the lore. Like, just stay there. We got to go rescue. Because what do you mean? This is Bircher, you know, and James knows Bird a little bit. And uh, so we... So, so I grab a 12 pack, some ice, you know, haul ass down there. Traffic is like, it almost took me longer from here to the Laurel. I think getting here to the frigging Cape in the boat, you know, so we get in the boat, we blast over. It's rough as ship it downwind and we, you know, haul ass in my Maverick HPX to 18 footer. So it's a pretty comfortable boat. And I find out that he's up in, he's not in Lake. It's not Lake Ingram. So East Cape Canal, I mean, it's straight as it can get. And then it's a sharp left turn, and it's a straight shot to Lake Ingram. He goes, I went up this twisty thing, and I thought it was East Cape. He went up in Brown's Cut, oh, which is just yes. as crooked as it could get, you know. And and I'm looking at the tides, and he got stuck at X amount of days. It got stuck on high tide, okay? Oh, no. So I get over there and there's no water and it's tricky to get into 
Brown's Cut. And I actually talked to Richard Black. I haven't been in the Brown's Cut on low tide a long time, and he does that shit a lot for the redfish. And Snook says, yeah, yeah, go down, pass it further, and then head up, you know, along the shoreline, and you'll get in no problem. So, you know, and, and uh, you know, James is like 16. Hey, have a beer. Dad, no, I don't want a beer. Okay, you're no fun. So, <laughs> so we, we get up there, and I run up in there about a half a mile. And where I know it's going to open up. So I know he's got to be where it opens up. I think he's going to be to the right. But he took some freaking left turn, which made no sense because it's so twisty up in there and all these little cuts, you know. <laughs> so I shut down before the opening and you hear this freaking whistle blow. I'm like, huh. So we idle down. There he is. I mean, 150 feet from the nearest drop of water, three feet out of the water, the boat. You know, big tides over there, you know, there's, you know, three and a half, four foot tides. And especially with the wind blowing out, blew all the freaking water out of the area. And I'm like, holy shit. And I got these guys that fished with them that were, anyway, I'll try to be nice. Uh, nice guys. And, and uh, father and <laughs> father and son. And, and we get there and I'm like, you can't walk because it's that brown muck. It was horrible. And, and I go, throw an anchor. Why throw an anchor? You're yelling at him. I go, throw an anchor, tie it off. Make sure you tie it off. Because Bert would throw an anchor and not hook it up, knowing Bert. So I make sure he ties it off to something, <laughs> you know. Go, what about setting it? Don't worry about setting it. The boat's not going to go nowhere. It's going to, the thing's going to sink. You know, the anchor's going to sink in that mud. And there's, it's in a confined area. So when they going to dictate shit? And uh, so the kid, the scrawny little guy, you know, he's like 19 or 20 years old. And next thing you know, he jumps in the mud. He crawls. It takes him 15 minutes to crawl to the boat. And it's nasty. And then he tries to jump on the boat. Whoa, you're taking a bath before you get in this boat. And I told him to put everything in bags, take as much clothes off as possible. Put them in anything that's dry. You know, they had dry bags, you know. And just bring that with you, tie it to your back. And it, it took Bert and his friend, they're in their 70s, you know, 40 minutes, 45 minutes to crawl 150 feet. In that mud. In that mud. And then I made that kid take my anchor rope out there and, and help pull them in, you know. Oh, <laughs> you my God. But they were snaking through like a snake. Oh, Like an alligator, was, a human I alligator. Mean, I mean, it's like being in quicksand, but you're not, you know, not going to sink and die, but it's... You're on it, your it's belly. hell week. I you're mean, on... it's it's like it'd be a really fun thing to watch people do because it <laughs> takes. I mean, it's nasty. Plus, they're old. You know, they're yeah. you know you're worried about stress and shit sure. like that. And we get him back in the boat, and there's that great picture of Bert laying there. Just all you can see is his face that didn't have mud on the rest of his eyes. <laughs> it's completely mud, you know. And then naturally, I posted the shit out of it, all this stuff and drove him nuts. That was my best thing ever. Bert yeah. said, don't tell anybody, and you told the world. The world, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to repost it now. Look, um, you've had a great relationship and a great run with a couple of really, really significantly big fishermen. You know, Carl Hyacin, you and he won uh, six fall fly bonefish tournaments. I'd like to speak, uh, have you speak about Carl and also about Tom Evans. Sure. You know, possibly the greatest big game Fly fisherman Absolutely. of all time. Yeah, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about Carl. You know, obviously everybody knows he's a world famous author. Yeah, and one of the funniest guys on the planet. Yes, and a world class angler. Yes, uh, Carl. You know, um, Carl used to fish with Branham. They grew up together. You know, 
great friends. And and fishing down here when he was living, he was fishing with John Kipp a lot, you know, just, you know, great guide. But John wouldn't fish a spot that he thought somebody fished three weeks ago. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't fish a spot that he thinks somebody saw a fish there or something like that. So Carl sort of like found me because I had won some tournaments and stuff like that. And uh, we hit it off and we started fishing, play fishing, and then we got into tournaments. And um, the great thing about Carl, he's not a good caster and a fly cast, okay? He's not have a good loop or or this or that, but his passion and, and his focus is, it's no, you can't find anybody better to, to stand on the bow for you. You know, that's what you want when you're fishing any day there's somebody that's going to stand up there while you're pulling your ass off the other thing carl had that was better than anybody i fish was eyes he i think growing up with branham and them coming down here when they were 16 years old as soon as they could drive you know and and uh and going fishing they they loved the passion for bonefish was unbelievable carl was good at everything you know any fish that you put on in front of him he he could catch he could see him really good got the fly in the right zone and and knew how to manipulate the fly to get him to bite you know i learned a lot off car the way he stripped for bonefish from bob i assume and then i was developing my own flies at the time and you know branham only used a epoxy fly right you know and um which actually i won my very first tournament with an epoxy fly like a copy of his that borsky tied for me in 91 and uh, but carl was you know, his eyes, his, his, you know, just love fishing the guy, you know, naturally listens to the stories and, and, but, but he was just very competitive, you know, by nine in the morning, he already eaten a chocolate bar and drank two iced teas. So he was freaking amped, you know, he was just, you know, he's ready to go. He's pulling his hair. Like, you know, he wore a visor, like, you, you know, I was surprised there's and hair left. left, you know, <laughs> but he was like, you know, he's like pulling his hair, like, like, where they at to me? I don't know. But he had he had spot the fish half the time, if not more, you know. Or he'd see a boat over there, you know. That's that's Harry or Steve or Branham or somebody, you know. And uh, I'm like, fuck! How can you see that fucking far? You know. I'm like, he had great eyes, and uh, and he wasn't a great caster. I mean, he sucked, you know. But he got it there somehow, and I would set him up, and and seen flies bounce off his head, my head, still make it out there, and catch a fish, you know. And and uh, and the thing about tournaments, you know, as you know, you hear all these stories about people catching fish that you're like, shit, this guy's going to be tough to beat. Well, that person never won a tournament and still hasn't won a tournament. You know, you hear these stories about people catching fish or that captain catching fish, but they. You know, when it comes to the game, they don't win. You know, it says, but for some reason, Carl was so teachable and so intense in fishing, which, you know, you know, made me, my drive even harder because he just, you know, he was never took a break. You know, if, if we ate something, it's on the fly. Or so he it. inspired you to come up to his level of intensity. Yeah. No, my intensity was there, you know, but, but I, I mean, I was very, you know, uh, I mean, I didn't start, I don't know when I started winning tournaments, not until the mid nineties or something with him, you know, uh, I already won a few tournaments, um, 
in the nineties. So you were a refined tournament winner already, but but yeah, but but Carl and I just had gel. You know, we just you know we I enjoyed fishing him. You know, there wasn't a lot of pressure on me. He put the pressure on himself, um, but he was really good at bone fishing. I mean, right. freaking great, you know. And 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 you know, he'd have little mistakes of clearing the line or this or that. You know, he was all over the place at times, but he got the freaking fly there somehow. You know, it wasn't pretty. And by then, I've had flies that we had just tremendous confidence in. You know, I remember Huff telling me, showing him a fly. And how they're just eating the shit out of it, you know. And he goes, well, the hook's too small. Okay. Yeah, probably. Cause the gap. The gap, a little little too small. A few of them got smushed, you know. Pulled the hooks on too many. And that's back when the only thing you used was a 3407. You know, mm-hmm. two, you know, 40 or 20, you know. And and um, so I took that to heart, you know. Okay. And, and uh, you know, started using bigger hooks. And and then um, with hooks, I started using the um, Gamagatsu um, SC15 Wano, which was bulletproof to this day. You know, it's a shorter shank hook, harder to tie a fly iron, but um, sharp as shit. You never had to sharpen it, and you know, you know the the mustads you had to sharpen. You know, and 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 but Carl just was was just epic and 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 catching fish. He fought fish great. You know. Long as we could get them on the reel, you know, it was good. Uh, it was good, and and we, you know, we caught, you know, we won, we won six, six fall flies, six fall flies, and then the four, all tackles, four all tackles, you right. know, that's, that's and and we won one of those all tackles on, on fly also, and the only other person that did that was Huff, I forget what he was, who he was fishing, famous guy. Um, and and so I, you beat I, the bait guys on fly yeah and steve huff was the only other one that had done that and that's you know back then it was like jimbo cord and croaker and all these guys the great fishing. bait guys of all time right they beat him on fly and and uh that's unbelievable and, and i remember when huff won it it took me a long time to get in that all tackle tournament it was a badass tournament brewer won it with ricky moeller you know and and i sort of was like telling some of these guys where i'd find release fish and this and that because i couldn't get in the tournament I couldn't find a guy, you know, Fred Troxel was fishing with Michael Guerin, you know, uh, great guys. And, and, uh, I'm like, and Mary Beth started working the tournaments, you know, like maybe trying to find me an angler, you know, hanging out with Fred, you know, Fred, uh, was running the tournaments, one of the greatest people ever. And, and, uh, and finally Carl and I hooked up in it, you know, later on in life, you know, probably, I don't know, late, late nineties, maybe 2000, you know, and, uh, so we start off, you know, with our tailing fish, and we go out there, and, you know, we catch a nine pounder. So anytime you caught a fish on fly, it was added a pound to it. Right. You so know, the points were substantial. Oh, I got right. you. So if you right. caught one on a jig, it was X amount of points. But bait was the lowest. But it was a bait tournament. But it was the all tackle, so you could use plug rod, spinning rod, fly rod, and bait. You know, so when it Catching fish on all four t- uh, tackles was a big deal. You know, right. I never won that part of it. You know, and we tried putting a plug rod in Heisen's hand. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh, the shit that Carl would say on the boat. I mean, I can't say none of that on the on the air here. I mean, even if you put R on it, it would still be bad. Uh, <laughs> but Carl, oh, you know, plug rod, twelve o'clock. 
You got them, you know. A jig is like the easiest way to catch a bonefish, especially a release. I mean, the easiest way, throwing a jig. Nine o'clock. What the? Why? What are you doing, Carl? Oh, damn! Why'd it go over there? You know, reel it up. Bird's nest. I'm like, I can put that thing up. Who's it reminding you of, Nikki? He's not worse than my dad. I'll tell you that. (laughs) So we tried, and we blew. We probably blew tournaments trying to catch the all tackle, you know. But with a fly rod, he was just, you know, of of stripping that fly and, and and getting the hookups and stuff. But we ended up. I mean, we were just on fire. Anything we threw that fly to and that all tackle, we caught. And I remember that morning, I had a morning spot that nobody fished really close. So we'd, you know, it would be lines in it, you know, say seven. And uh, and Carl and I would sit there and he's just nervous as hell. He's like already drinking a couple of teas or coffee or whatever. Said, Where are we leaving? I go, 10 till. 10 till. Okay. Where are we going? Well, we're going to such and such. It's going to take us five minutes to get there. Okay. And we'd pull up there, and I'd pull his fly line out and clean it. You know, I already had the leaders all set up and stuff. And we'd pull up there, and I'd go, there he is. And, whop, and he hooks one, catches one right away, like a nine-and-a-half-pounder. I'm like, oh, that's ten-and-a-half pounds, all right? You know, we'd tank it, take it back to the lower life, weigh it. And we run out to uh, Holiday Owl on the ocean side, and there's four boats fishing. You know, we called it Dave's World because uh, Dave Boras would fish out there by the sandbar and 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 uh harbor lights and it was a great area to catch fish you know in that 10 pound range and up and uh he goes where are you gonna fit in i'm gonna go right in the middle you know it says you got everybody fishing the perimeters but there's a deeper spot in the middle of this big flat and nobody's close to it says we'll slide up in there and he goes okay we pull up in there there's a few fish tail and he throws over there whack hook up and it's a big fish i mean i thought it was a really big fish i thought it was 12 pounds we net i'm like holy shit look at this short fat fucker you know i'm like holy cow i tank it don't weigh it or anything you know and we pull off the fly because you only like two weight fish sure. in a tournament it's like 8 30 in the morning and boras sees me at the end of the day he goes what were you guys doing why would you leave i go well that was our second weight fish and his eyes rolls back in his head you know like Oh God, you guys suck! You know, that was, <laughs> right? And then we go off fly fishing, and we catch a ton of fish on fly that day, and we end up smoking everybody. And then Bocor tries to change the tournament again, which he did after Huff won it. You know, so it was always like competitive um, with with these guys. You wanted to beat certain captains and certain anglers, and Bocor, who's you know, you know, was one of the great legends. He never won the all tackle. That's crazy. He, that was the only tournament that guy he won. He won all the Bay Bones. He won the Bay he Bones, and then he, then he started a spring three-day uh, all-tackle, which right. I never fished, or Carl and I never, because shit, you know, tournaments back in the day. The thing about tournaments were, were that they were built to give us business. Right. They were built. During the off-season. In the off-season. So by the end of May, this town started emptying out. Still does, you know. But now it's different because now you got summer people and everything gets rented out every house sure. from the block. But back in those days, you know, the Albrights and brothers and Cecil Keith and, you know, um, Clarence Slow and them, and they, they promoted these tournaments to get people to stay and fish, you know, to, to keep the guiding community busy, you know, because fishing was awesome. You know, so that's why the tarpon tournaments were started, those three tarpon tournaments, mm-hmm, you know, sure. the Holly ladies and and uh the gold cup and and then um the the fall 
uh, September and October tournaments. That's give, right. you know give us a little jolt of uh, income. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Tom Evans. You know, Tom, as anybody inside this world knows, what a great tarpon, world class tarpon fisherman he's been. You know, catching all those world records, and I think he's got a couple that will stand the test of time. Sure. Possibly absolutely. some of the greatest fish ever ever, ever caught. He's got a, a he's got a hundred ninety four pound tarpon on twelve. Uh, 12, twelve pound test. Yeah. He's got the one ninety one on sixteen. Uh, his two hundred seventy three pound blue marlin on sixteen pound test with a fly rod is just outrageous. God, who it, knows how many fish he caught on with Dean Butler? I mean, right. over there. Uh, I mean, that guy. We they, could talk the rest of the night about he, Dean and Tom. Yeah, you know? forever. You know, but he's got all the records, all the billfish records. Yeah. But he called me one day when I'm in the Laura Keys and. He was up here, and I know that he used to fish with you before he would go to Home Assassin and fish. I was his glorified babysitter. (laughs) As Tanya, his wife, would call me. Thank you for letting us come down and babysitting Tom for a couple weeks. So I want to talk about your relationship with Tom, but I want in specific. He called me um, one time after fishing, and we were still out there late. And the voicemail goes, "Call me." I saw the fat man fly today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's me being jerked over? Oh, I wasn't sure I was a home of fat person me getting friggin' watching me get jerked over like a rag doll. And that's like another hub story with Del Brown, you know, same size fish. Right. You know, that world record that we were trying to break. And, you know, Steve tells the story how he gaffs and it jerks him out of the boat. And there goes the boat idling away with Del just. <laughs> Looking back at his captain standing on a freaking doesn't know fly. how to you know like what control the throttle. Steve Young, come get me. Yeah. Wind up your line as you come get me. So anyway, this back up. He's fishing with you, trying to catch an eight, uh, 127 and a half pound tarpon on eight pound test, and you're fishing with him. Yeah, yeah. So fishing with Tom of Lightline was was always a, a joy, you know, because um, no one does that shit. And, and so we're out there late in the afternoon and we got big fish around and we hook up this fish and he explodes. We keep him on and he runs about, I don't know, a couple hundred yards and makes four big bombs every couple hundred feet, you know, just like, holy shit, this is the one, you know? And then Tom's like, he's walking back to the center of the boat and opening his tackle box and getting his fighting glove on and this fish is just cruising to the horizon which he we did a lot you know on just a 80 90 pound fish or an eight pound you can't do shit you know you just let that sucker run and he was just calm go back to his little tackle box he wouldn't keep the glove in his pocket or something where you can just pull it out too easy yeah so you go back and this thing's just just sailing and, and gets his fighting glove on and uh, so we go off fighting this fish and to speed it up, we, after 40 minutes, now we got the fish in a routine. We go through a channel, get them out in a lake near an edge. And we got the fish going around the boat. And each time he gets closer and closer. And we're now we're 40, 45 minutes into the fight. And I got the gap out and, and he goes, you know, a couple more spins, Tim. I think you could stick them. Okay. Yeah, I agree. You know? And I got the boat in gear still, you know, which you can. And not like in a tournament where you got to throw it in neutral to right. grab a leader. He was like, so I'm like, fuck, I'm so excited. I'm just like, 
Man. You've heard about this for a long time. Oh, yeah. I've heard like, like Brewer, you know, years ago getting jerked. Other people, I mean, God, anybody that did it, you know, seriously got yanked out of the boat. And you're confident in this fish making the world record. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a legit fish. I don't know. I've never killed them, all right? But so you're thinking know. it's 130, 140? Yeah, no, we think it's going to make the mark, especially Tom thinks it is, because he's killed, you know, more than I. You know, he's not killed a ton of fish, but he's killed 15 fish, you know, so he knows what a big fish is, yeah. and this is a pretty good, it was a pretty good fish, what we call 130s, you right. know. It might have only been 100, I don't freaking know. You know, we'll never... I got the scale right up there <laughs> here on the wall. I was supposed to give it to Tom as a Christmas ornament. It's got a perfect hole in it from the gaff mark. So I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, Tom, a couple more spins, you know, a little closer every time. I run up to the bow. He goes, I think you can get him, Timmy. I go up there and I'm like, oh, yeah, just dead center of the back. Wham, and I hooked that thing perfect, you know, this like right in front of the, like almost right over the dorsal, you know. You know, anywhere you can get a gaff in is a good shot when you're doing something like this. And uh, and we're just by ourselves, you know. And, and since the boat's going forward at a dead idle, <laughs> that gaff, he swam under the boat and the gaff hits the edge of the boat. I could have probably held on, but the gaff would have broken off, you know, and it was still. So it actually just catapulted me out of the boat. I mean, just, I mean, instantaneous. I was gone and there's the boat going over me and i remember steve telling him you know how he kept his and he's been towed around a couple times with sandy and stuff you know how he just had to keep his head down to keep his hat on his glasses on you know so i'm like before i go i take my dip out my phone out you know <laughs> anything you got plenty you know of time. yeah you know something's gonna you happen know you're you know you're going and i got this thing i mean i'm out i mean like a rag doll bam i'm like holy shit you know and i'm like this is fucking cool man and, and i don't know many things i mean i've won a bunch of tournaments i was probably one of the most excited i've ever been on a boat just sticking this big fish and then the fish goes and swims back alongside the boat. I'm like 100 feet behind the boat now. I pop up. And, uh, and I grew up diving, so I was never worried about a thing, you know. And, and got my hat and my glasses. I kept my head down like Huff says you're supposed to do and shit, you know. And I, and I come up. Woo! And I look at there's fucking Tom idling away, just like Dale Brown there. It's Tom, put it in neutral, you know, and he's going into the wind, thank God, you know. And I go, wind up the slack, and I'm swimming with this fish and coming up to the boat, you know. The fish is like, <clears throat> I think he's dead, you know. And I swim up to the boat, and, and now there's 20 feet of line wrapped around the prop. I'm like, oh, no. Shit, you know, I don't want the fish to break off, you know, but I got him on the gap. There's a big loop, and and he goes, Timmy, it's it's in the engine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Tom, I mean, seriously, you know. So I get there, I get there, I spin the prop, and I get all that line off the prop. Wind it up, wind it up. He winds it up, you know, he's holding the fish, you know. And now I, you know, shimmy up on the boat, you know, and now he's sitting, you know, on the seat, you know, the, you know, the back, you know. I don't know, seat in my boat, just the cushions in the back of the boat. Hop in the boat, you know, go to grab the gaff. Where the fuck's the fish? He goes, he swam away. Go, what do you mean he swam away? All you had to do is hold the fucking gaff up a little bit, you know? Well, I guess we should have kept the bar barn there. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I was friggin' furious, but I was so excited I couldn't get mad at him. I'm like, God damn it, Tom. Really? Really? I, I, 
for the next 20 minutes, I had my GPS on. I did a grid back and forth. Trying to find forth, the fish. Trying to find the fish. Yeah. He swam away. Somebody's yeah. going to catch one with a big hole in his back. I, <laughs> I bet you it lived. You know, it just, you know, I was just like, but I was so, I didn't say anything to Tom. Sure, I was. Shit happens. Yeah. 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 yeah I was That's all you can say. Yeah. What a story. Yeah. 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 Uh, what you, what would you like to add towards the end of this podcast that we haven't covered? You know, we talked about your mentors growing up down here. Your yeah, you know, fish, Tom, you know, I, and, I, I oh, there's so much to talk about. We haven't even started I know, there's, yet. There's so much. Uh, we can do a know, second one. Yeah, but you know, I met my wife in Kaysau on a diving expeditions back in the early '80s. We're we're coming up next week for our 30th anniversary, and and uh, so it's just with my. With my wife and and, uh, and thirty James years, is a and, great and fisherman. James is uh, like in his, coming up on his third year of guiding and killing it and doing the bay boat shit because he sees what's going on with the tarpon season, trying to fly fish here. You know, I came home yesterday from fly from fishing, slick calm, and it was like there wasn't a spot to take. There were so many boats. This is, you know, early February. And there was like, I counted nine boats on my way home. Oh, God. You know, I talked to a guy that gassed it up. And he's like, I couldn't find a spot to fish. You know, our fishing grounds have shrunk, you know, especially early season. And you never mm -hmm. had that problem before. But it's just like so many people are into it. But anyway, you know, my daughter, you know, my kids are, are the biggest thing. You know, I, I started off in, you know, in the mid-90s. Um, Fishing so many days, I guided average of like, I don't know, 275 plus days a year. Then another 40 plus days with family and friends just goofing off, you know. And, and, and then I started taking weekends off after I started having kids. You know, March through June, I took most of the weekends off. Because um, I, you know, like the intro with Tom speaking, you know, we broke this, we broke that, we broke marriages, you know, and I saw the marriages break, you know, from... Both sides, both ends of the boat, you know, right. all guides right. and anglers, you know. And I'm like, shit, you know, you're, you're, you'd fish every day, you know. And the only day you got off would be a weather day, you know. So I like, so like, you know, 95 or something like that. I'm like, shit, you know, I want to watch my kids grow up. I want to go to soccer practice and, and baseball practice and all this stuff, baseball practice, and watch these kids do this stuff, you know. And it's just like, you know, it was just, I, I'm so glad I did that. No one did that shit back then. Right. You know, taking time off, you know, in the busy time of the season, you know, people are still grinding, you know, 100 days in a row out, you know, and you're praying for weather. Yeah, you're praying for you exactly. Get a day off. Yeah. yeah, you know, to get a day off, you know, and then there's a shit day and the guy goes, I don't want to sit in my room with my wife. I want to go fishing. I don't care how bad it is. Let's go out. You want to go? Sure. You know, so you'd go, you know, so stuff like that. But I did want to mention, uh, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, trailering, you know, the Key Largo back in the day, you know, trailing was something that started right at my era. I think it was probably Hoff and Harry, um, trailering the Key Largo, you know, and, and, and that's probably late eighties. They probably started it earlier than that, but I, you know, I got involved in that early. I was, you know, one of the first trailer guides in Alamrod, I'm sure like somebody like Eddie Whiteman, but nobody did that back then. But we got these Silver King boats and nice trailers and the docks at the Lorelei where you'd go down there every morning, your boat was full of dirt and glass 
bar glasses and you know plastic shit you know and so we started trailering our boats every day but but those days um uh steve huff harry spears you know uh bus bergman i don't know right. if, you, know, you remember um, bus for sure he used to pull his boat from the middle of the boat yeah oh did he i don't i don't know bus oh bergman. no no excuse me oh. that was uh Reinerman. okay Reinerman didn't pull from the middle of the boat he had a classic Reinerman is on there too but he didn't trailer you know but you had mike collins john kipp eddie whiteman that did you know then kevin i mean uh, michael garen started showing up you know mm -hmm. and then kevin you know naturally brewer and uh, so that was a really cool time in the winter time that we all spent up at at Curie's Fort Marina, which is just south of um, Ocean, uh, Reef, Ocean yeah. Reef. That was a big boat ramp, and then they closed that down. We found other holes to put in, and then Penny Camp. So it was really cool having that little collection of guides, you know, right. um, um, you know, and doing that. And then the Lower Keys, you know, um, I started going down there in the late '80s, and I just love to say, you know. You know, you hear the stuff of people about slicing tires and this and that, you know, and I could give a shit that, you know, who, you know, Branham and Croker and all these guys coming out here. I love those guys. Those, those guys were the best, mm -hmm. you know, you know, Rick Murphy, you know, um, uh, there's a few other, but going to the lower keys, I remember going down there, putting it at Sugarloaf and Timmy Carlisle, you know, just classic classic just and i was a young people. punk you know i was down there and he was just hey you know, i'm from alamrata oh cool man great you know and i'd ask him about like a tide and he would help me out and then uh key west with um the three guys that were there with jeffrey cardenius uh marshall cutchins and uh simon uh becker sure yeah. you know and they had this little dock you know in garrison bite and they didn't know me from shit, you know. And I'd pull up there and buy some shrimp and crabs. And they were all so welcoming, you yeah. know. I just like, all right. You know, you hear stories of guides moving from, you know. One zip code to another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, basically, yeah, no, exactly right. And they never saw that, you know. And I never, I didn't ever give a shit about any of the Miami guides coming down here. You know, they, they were you know, the big names to me, it was, yeah. it was, it was classic, but well, I just grew up, you know, like you say, you're, when you live in Alamrata, things shrunk so quick that you just wanted to see new bottom. So sure. I had so much fun going to the lower key. I don't dig the lower keys. I don't do it much anymore because of freaking traffic. Yeah. You're scared to go down there to right. put in the seven mile Bay Honda, but there's not a damn spot to, right. before you never had to worry about that. But now with traffic, it's just like, Oh, I miss it so much knowing what's going on down there right now. Cause you know how much I love bonefish. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's coming it's, back for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got to tell you that some of my best days of fishing have been with you. Yeah. We did a TV show together. We caught a big bonefish yeah. and the tarpon fishing that we've done and whacked all those fish out in the Gulf. And yeah. That, that day is probably the most big fish and more fish we ever, I've ever landed in a day. It was I heard all about Slick it. Don't, don't tell me again. Oh, no. I thought about that day before yesterday. You know, I was out there fumbling around for cobias and shit, you know. And I'm like, gosh, it's really tempting to go a little further to look for the poons, you know. Right. It's just like, gosh. We, we mohawked the poon that day. Yeah. It was yeah. so much fun. But look, yeah. you, you've always been, like I said, a great inspiration to a lot of people uh, with your expertise, uh, your integrity. Uh, your knowledge and your your ability to to win the big ones uh, for many many years, and you've been a great friend to all of us 
and I just want to thank you for right what you've given me um, and coming onto the podcast and telling your story. Well, thanks. No, thanks. And I'd love to get you in the boat. I know. We got to fish. We'll do another podcast because I'm sure you have many more stories. Oh, but God. I'd, I'd love to fish with you, Tim. And thanks so much for coming on. Really yeah, no, thank you. It. Yeah. Way to go, brother. Love you. Yeah. You now too. we're going to eat some cobia that you, we caught, you caught yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, cobias and steak kebabs, a little rum. Perfect. Papa's Pilar. Lots Hell of yeah. papas. Here we go. All right, Arn. All right, dog. All right, man. Yeah, man. Thank love you. you. Love you guys. See ya. Without question, Timmy Klein is a flats fishing savant. Having fished and filmed with him, I know firsthand his genius. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.